Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. I almost hate to use the word educational. Charles Staley. And uh, I failed phys ed and English all the way through high school. Phil Stevens. I guess I'm kind of the, uh, the dark force here. And Rob Fortress Fortney. But there really is no secret. Thanks for listening. All righty. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am an exercise physiology and nutrition professor, and I am a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, folks. Robert Fortress Fortney, uh, journalist, editor, former competitive bodybuilder, and uh, strength trainer. Uh, Phil Stevens, strength coach and competitive athlete in Highland Games, powerlifting, and et cetera. Sweet. Hey, I have a couple of news items here that I want to talk about before uh, we get on to the guest. If we do, we're waiting for uh, our guest, Jeff McCarroll, to call in. So, Jeff, if you do uh, hear this, then just jump right in, man. You've got the number. Um, but as far as news blurbs go, a couple of things. One is I wanted to announce some things about the Summer Nutrition Stories contests. Uh, our last winner... Uh, that we played the the clip on the air. Email Rob. Uh, you can do that through the www.ironradio.org website, uh, and just let him know where to uh, send the the book. It's, it's that simple. Uh, and also, I was checking some statistics on the site, and I posted this on Facebook. But uh, the amount of downloads that we've been having on Iron Radio is really quite good. I mean, it's modest by you know professional standards, I'm sure, but we've had over 30,000 downloads or so this year, and we've already passed our 2009 whole year um, in number of hits and you know megabytes downloaded and everything. So I, I was stoked, and I said, you know what? Next person who contacts me, I'll arrange a freebie here, and I'll send you one of these books as well because I've got a stack of different ones in my office. No two are alike, but uh, they're quite nice, and we rather quickly – uh, got uh, a phone message from Melissa, and um, maybe I'll, I'll edit that in afterwards here. Hi, my name is Melissa Trainer, and I just got a message to give you a call and tell Rob that I've told at least five friends about Iron Radio, which I have. So uh, that's my message. Thanks. Bye. And it's that simple. She got a book. So... Uh, sometimes keep an eye on the Iron Radio Facebook page because you never know, you know, what we're going to do there. And we give away some stuff. Never know. Yeah, that's right. I uh, speaking of giveaways, I just started a deal on my blog three days ago, and every day, and I'm going on there and I'm putting oh one to three questions up. And like today, whoever got it right gets a free uh, Live for Hope supporter T-shirt, things like that. And it's just a way to have. Have fun and, and keep our brains a little sharp. So it's, it's fun for me too. It keeps me on my toes, having to think of something new to ask every day. So it's everything yeah. from training and nutrition to and then I go off the wall too. So. All right, that's cool. Yeah, somebody's got to do do this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Spread a little bit of uh, community there, whether it's a t-shirt or a book or whatever. All right. Uh, another announcement I wanted to do was just. Uh, sort of propose a new little segment. We were talking about this before we started recording, but uh, we'll call it Achievements in Lifting unless somebody else can think of something. And I just thought it might be good to sort of share with everybody, you know, what the heck we actually do 
uh, in or out of the gym or something that we feel is an accomplishment over the last week or two that we've been doing. And we may not have something every week, but uh, what brought this to mind was that Rob actually drove down, Fortress drove down, and uh, we actually hit up the gym owner, Rob did, uh, at Bodybuilder's Gym there in Akron, Ohio. And he actually opened the gym for us in the evening. And this is just sort of cool for a guy to do something like that, and I know Rob agrees. Uh, and we just sort of went nuts, a whole body training session, shock session, I guess. You know, Rob... I don't know what you squat three fifteen for a twenty five or something nutty. Uh, everybody was getting kind of crazy, and it was just kind of fun, you know. It was just a complete change of pace. Go in there on a uh, on an evening when the gym's usually closed, and and just kind of go nuts. My legs were freaking rocked before I even began. And so Rob's, you know, hooting like a big time wrestler, and so I, I'm like, all right, I'll I'll put two fifty on or two forty five or whatever it was, and and, oh, that was just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to say it was a mistake, but it, that wasn't pretty. My legs were absolutely well, I mean, toast. Like nine weeks, and I was only supposed to do light bench, light squat, and then heavy deadlift. And as it turned out, I did bench. I just decided to do two sets of 10 with 315, and then I went to 405. And then, yeah, we went to squat and ended up doing high reps with that, which I haven't done for a long time. So my high rep capacity is... Not that terrific, but then, I, yeah, I did three plays for 25, and then, then I had to do my heavy deadlifts. So, yeah, that beat the crap out of me, too, but you know what? It was all in good fun, and, you know, and that was the whole point. You know, I drove down there and had, like, two hours sleep the night before and, you know, came down there to see my buddies and train at the uh, infamous bodybuilder's gym there in Akron. Um, and, of course, we always urge people to go down there and check out uh, Pep Wall's gym there. Um, it's, it's It's an amazing place, and... You know, he's a good friend of ours, so he was uh, kind enough, like you said, to to open the gym for a couple hours after hours, which was which was real real uh, real great. So uh, it was a good time. You know, we ate lots of food and trained hard, and you know, shot the shit and had a great time. And you know, I always think those kinds of things are, you know, it's sometimes you got to just get the let out. You know what I mean? And you got to kind of veer off the path a little bit and just kind of get a little crazy and. uh it's some, sometimes that kind of thing kind of, you know, reconnects me again to my, you know, 20-year-old self, which I, I think, again, is, is, is kind of helpful at times, you know, just kind of, like I say, just kind of stop thinking and kind of just go for it, you know, and get a little, get a little crazy. Yeah, yeah not think. sometimes those are the best sessions. You just go in and just have fun. You know, and yeah. it ends up being hard work. Yeah. I, I Actually, I can't believe, I still can't believe I did that because my chest and my legs were absolutely ruined. I usually mark my soreness in my training log, you know, and I was like a 7 on a 10 scale for soreness. And here's me, you know, doing maximal efforts, you know, 20 reps with moderate weights. Just no sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Phil? Anything anything cool happened to you? Oh, to lately, you? I mean, there's been nothing too crazy, but... uh I guess the best things I've had going on lately is I, I tore my the glute tie-in at my last Thailand Games a month and a half ago, and just coming back from that. So um, a week and a half ago, I went in and was able to put 605 on the bar, and then did nine singles with it and deadlift with like no pain. I did, uh, and then I did a set of five after doing nine singles. Um, and then the squats wow. coming back. I've been squatting to a high box because I got diagnosed with that degenerative hip. So I just started squatting to a height that didn't cause any pain, and I've been able to slowly drop that down now to about an inch and a half above parallel, and I'm hitting you know, 550, 565 without a problem, and no 
no negative side effects as of yet. So you didn't have any surgical repair or anything on that glute tie-in, right? No, I'd just been getting some, some soft tissue work. I, it wasn't like a complete rupture or okay, anything, yeah. but uh, yeah, you feel it, and there's like a golf ball-sized piece of scar tissue back there, and it just it mainly hurts on my island stuff when I'm turning and throwing and really firing that glute and bringing the hip around, but mm-hmm. it's, it's to the point where it doesn't really hurt in deadlifting much. I mean, on a pain scale, it's probably a two, So, yeah. but it's just been kind of holding me back, but... So, I mean, things are going back that way and getting ready for Highland Games in eight days. So, it'll be my first A-class event. Phil, I think that's like your defining feature. You bounce back from injuries like, you know. That's all I know, man. (laughs) I don't don't know what I'd do if I wasn't injured, but uh, because I'm just always there. And, I mean, that's kind of uh, brings up a fun topic I've been dealing with lately, and it's problems. You know, people, you get the YouTube heroes and, you know, web heroes that come in and they want to critique everybody and this and that. And, uh, you know, one thing I always have to go to is, you know, the definition of problem is something that has a solution. If there's no solution to it, then you just have to find things to work around it. And, I mean, that's what I have to do on a lot of things. I mean, there are certain anatomical positions and stuff that I'm just not able to get into. And, I mean... Mm -hmm. That's, uh, there is no solution to it unless they were to, like, cut me open and make a new skeleton. And uh, that's just interesting talking to coaches and whatnot and finding people with, with past injuries and, and coaching people myself with past injuries and just having to realize that. And IDing, is it a problem or is it just something we have to work around? And, I mean, it's kind of fun to, fun to do that. And, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of defined my lifting career as yeah. finding – how do I do this my own way because I cannot do it like you, you know, and it's just finding that. I mean, I have to realize, okay, this is how you're supposed to do it. Now, how can I get as close to that as possible? Well, that's an achievement, right? I mean, that's that's kind of what I thought about with this whole segment. It doesn't have to be a personal record one rep max or something, you know, but just uh, yeah. what kind of things are you overcoming, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's heck, that's all. Honestly, that's. 99% of the game. I mean, it's figuring out what you can do that day and uh, and going for it. Because, right. I don't know, you talk to any athlete, I'm sure we've said this a hundred times on the show already, but none of them, no athlete or somebody pushing it to the highest level is ever 100% healthy. We're always battling some kind of something. I mean, if you're not sore in some way, somewhere, you're you, you're not pushing it hard enough. And it's just it's finding that balance of not over pushing it and knowing when to rest and this and that. But I mean, you're never at a hundred percent. People come into this thinking, I'm going to feel great and be a, you know, elite power lifter. Well, no, you're not going to feel great to get to that level. Well, I mean, it was one of the things I remember reading a few years ago. Um, it might've been Ed Cohen that said it. I can't remember, but he was a top power lifter. And he basically, basically said, you know, um, in his opinion, the, you know, primary, you know, factor determining whether somebody is going to, you know, get to be at a successful level in in a strength sport or whatever, what have you. Um, successful, of course, being determined to the individual, but is just the ability to stave off, you know, catastrophic injury, basically. You know, to, tr- to be able to train consistent, consistently, intensely, and long enough. 
um, to get to that level um, and to do that, basically, like I say, is to, you know, to get to that level without, you know, completely having some sort of catastrophic injury. Yeah. I remember uh, Pete Lemon used to tell me, uh, who was just on the show an uh, episode or two ago, uh, he used to talk about the super training effect as sort of a scientific principle where it's the means by which creatine apparently helps. For example, you know, you train a little bit heavier and harder uh, and over time results ensue, you know, and it's sort of the same thing that you're talking about there. You've got to keep the intensity and the volume at a certain um, pace coming at you or, you know, you're not going to develop maximally or you might even regress. So, yeah, I totally get it. Injuries would be even more important than the little 5 or 10% that a supplement like creatine might give you, you know. I mean, then with injuries, then it's just, I mean, you can't just, I'm definitely in the camp that you got to keep going through. Um, but be smart about it. You know, you got to keep moving through those ranges of motion. And it, I think you heal faster from it. If you just totally I, stop I and, and turn steady entry, you know, I just drop the loads to a point where I don't have a pain that I know is going to cause a negative effect. And, and I seem to heal faster. I agree 100% as far as the whole concept of what you're saying about, um, you know, at some point you have to kind of resume, you know, the patterns and the movements, um, even yeah. if it is like, you know, exceedingly light, relatively speaking to yourself, you know, because um, I think that definitely facilitates speeding recovery. I mean, of course, that's not going to be in every situation. Of course, Lonnie can talk a little bit more privately about that, but I mean, yeah. we're, we're, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about injuries that are, you know, to the degree that you can't get out of bed, but certainly I've always found that little nagging pains and aches and minor injuries in myself have always been helped along after, you know, maybe give, actually allowing rest for several days and then, yeah, going back and just doing something really light, really slow, really focusing on the, you know, proper execution and, and just kind of really pumping a lot of blood in the area. Yeah, I feel like I should toss out a disclaimer. We're not telling anybody to go try to lift through something that's very painful and take it upon yourself. We're talking about still work with a physical therapist, get the proper treatment, stuff like that. But yeah, on some level, you've got to keep moving, keep, whether it's mental and picking the goals or working around it in some way or trying to keep range of motion and blood flow. You know, there are things that you can do. You can stay proactive. That's I mean, that's, I mean Z Health has built their whole deal around that. If you guys are familiar with that, I mean, it's, they they want you to keep moving through as much range of motion as you can to the very edge of pain. You know, like if you hurt your shoulder, I can lift my shoulder to 45 degrees. They'd want you to bring it to 45 and a quarter. And once you feel pain, you just stop there, and you're ever trying to slowly increase the pain for your range of motion. And, I mean, you just – I'm not a big fan of just totally stopping. I've done it with some injuries, and it, they came back longer. It took me longer to get back. I mean, yeah. when I blew my bicep, I did the opposite thing, and I just kept training freaking hard. I just didn't do things with that arm, you know, but I was squatting. I got a safety squat bar and, and was going hard with that. I was doing one arm deadlifts and presses with the other arm and rows with the other arm and anything I could. And I don't know. I think mentally, too, it just keeps you in the game and, and keeps you coming back faster. Well, this, again, comes down to just, you know, your love for it or not. If you're in the yeah. gym just for... 
you know, some pie in the sky reason, you know, when you want to look better on the beach or, you know, which is, which is not a bad thing. But I mean, you know, when, when your heart's not really into it, you don't really love the process of it. I mean, in, you know, I, we, we've all seen guys that just use any sort of ache or pain as an excuse just not to go to the gym at all. Um, and again, I'm not talking about being ill, like having a flu or something where you certainly shouldn't be in the gym. But I mean, you know, it's like, oh, well, my my knee was sore, so I, you know, I was in the gym for three weeks. It's like, well, geez, there's a whole heck of a lot more you could do from than you know, it would affect that knee at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got to set your thresholds higher than that. Rob, you and I remember, we, I don't know if when you were down here or if it was before that, but we were laughing about the media would have you taking breaks, you know, at every turn. I mean, you you see a commercial, someone puts a light bulb, screws in a light bulb, and then they're they're feeling their deltoid the next day. Oh, I'm sore. I need ibuprofen. Really? I mean, really? You know? Like, you know, get back to whatever it is you do. It's like, get back to what? Changing a light bulb? I mean, if, if, that's, the, if that's the case, man, you're, you're in a bad way. Exactly. And uh, I think the hardest part I have, and I think it's one thing that helped me now that we're talking about, you know, getting back to it and not resting. I'm definitely the type of person that's kind of type A and goes all out. And kind of the thing that's helped me in the past few years is actually learning to back off, though. Now that I've said, you know, you got to keep going. Uh, <laughs> and I think it led to a lot of my injuries, was never never backing off because I'm the type of person that, hey, just man up and get in there. And Yeah, that can know, be like, a huge hurdle to overcome for somebody who is prone to, you know, being very aggressive towards something that they're so passionate about because I'm much yeah. the same way, of course. And, you know, when you get a little bit, some years under your belt and some experience and you realize that, you know, um, going easy and going light is actually easy and light. And that's a hard thing. And, you know, it's interesting because it was when I switched from, you know, more more bodybuilding training to to more pure strength training, powerlifting, is when I really had to, you know, buckle down and find out what that meant because in general terms I trained more more insanely um, and more kind of just off the hook when I was a bodybuilder than when I am a powerlifter now, even though, you know, I, I – I have a burst of when I'm actually training heavier, but I mean, when I was a bodybuilder, I used to train more heavy all the time. Yeah. Um, and interesting, we're talking about um, Pep Wall, the owner of Bodybuilders. He he actually helped me a lot several years ago, just before I, I moved back to Canada um, from Akron. Um, he told me once we were talking about going light, and he was suggesting I go light after a bout of heavy heavy pressing. And I said, oh well, like you know, how how light is light, you know, like. 185, 200, and he was like, no, I don't think you get it. He says, I'm talking like to, you know, flat bench, two sets of 10 with like 45-pound dumbbells. Yeah. You know, and I was like, oh, that is light. And he says, yeah, light is light. And that's what a lot of, again, more advanced, more kind of a question realize is like, you know, they think, well, you know, I can bench 400 pounds, so light must yeah. be 225. Well, it can be if it kind of fits into the program that you're on at that specific moment, but certainly from a standpoint of being overtrained or just having to really, really back off from it. I mean, you know, it could be as light as like, yeah, a couple of sets of like eight with 135 or, you know, a couple of sets of 20 with 40-pound dumbbells on the flat and stuff. I mean, yeah. and although that might sound ridiculous, um, it's amazing how much kind of re rejuvenating um, properties can be had by doing things that light, you know? It's true. You know, one of the things very similar for me that I had to get my head around was I really went through this period of about a year where I was doing undulating periodization, you know, where 
I wasn't so much doing mid-level workouts, but I would either do a heavy day and alternate that with a light high rep day. And it was very hard after years and years of, of lifting in a heavy, fairly low rep range because I really sort of gravitated toward more like power bodybuilding. Uh, but forcing myself to do sets of 15 or 20, you know, some of this research on protein synthesis in muscle, you know, getting maximized with 20, 23 reps to failure – that's very intriguing to me. And, you know, I actually I was feeling big pumps and I felt like it was really helping me make progress because then you're not frying your nervous system with a maximal load every time, you know. So I know there's pros and cons to all this kind of stuff, but, man, I totally agree. It's really hard not to put a moderately heavy to heavy weight on the bar. You know, you just you feel like you're not going balls to the wall in the gym or something. I have a person you are. And if you are that way, you need to just walk out, you know. It's real hard for me to go in the gym and just do a little bit. You know, I want to go in and go out. So, I mean, that's uh, – you hear Louie talk about Westside and whatnot, and, you know, they had all their recovery workouts and RE days and stuff like that, assistance work. And, you know, he said it time and time again, the biggest mistake people make is they they go too damn hard on that other stuff when they're not supposed to be going hard, and that's why they get wore out. You know, the right. recovery isn't go in and do – you know, 20 reps until you're burnt out, it's full recovery. And it's adding, you add stuff to a program to make you better, not to, to get worse. So it's, you, you know, know sometimes you the best workout isn't a, isn't a workout. Sometimes it just isn't. You know what, Rob? Yeah. Exactly. You know, you and I have both talked about this, and I bet Phil has done this too. You just, some days you walk into the gym, I've turned around and walked out. I do that two or three times a year. You know, I'll yeah. fight myself tooth and nail, you know, psychologically because I, I, you know, there's something's biting me in the back saying you shouldn't go and, you know, yeah. the passion, the aggression kind of wins over and you go. And absolutely, in a literal sense, you walk in the gym and you stand there for about 20 seconds and then you turn around and you walk back out again. Yeah. Or, you know, you don't Yeah, I mean, and, you've talked about this before, Rob, and, but I think the big deal is to go. You know, go ahead and go to the gym and then see how you feel. Yeah, at least go. I, I agree with that. At least go because nine times out of ten, you're glad you did. At least I am. Yeah, if you just go, you might feel a lot better because I've had days where it's like, God, this is going to be a horrible session. I feel like crap. And then for somehow I go in there and I hit an easy PR. Yeah. Once I get going. But, yeah, you got to have the maturity to walk out. And, yeah, I've done it. A lot of times now, lately, I mean, before, no, I wouldn't do it. I'd just get pissed off and try to do it more and more, and that's how I, like, blew my bicep and stuff like that. But, you, like you said, you gain some maturity over over the years. And Lonnie, you talking about, uh, I can't remember how you said it, but something about, you know, if, if the whole day you're fighting to even want to go and, you know, you do your pre, pre-session, you know, coffee deal, you know, slamming back the, the Joe, you know, and still nothing's happening. It's like, it must be that you're just, you know, yeah. what do you always say? You're throwing gasoline on a fire that burnt out a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Lighter fluid on burnt coals. Yeah. It's only going to go so far. <laughs> right. Yeah. If, if there's no fire light, you're not going to have a fire for sure. you got to have at least a little little burning anxiety. I mean, I'd say the same thing to my clients. With, uh, you know, when you're, when you're going into a session and you got heavy weight on the bar, and this is why I try and train everybody to, not fail, you know, every single lift, you know, nothing but making the lift, and, you know, just walking up to a bar, if you have doubt in your head, and it's like, man, I'm not going to get this, I'm probably not going to get this, this, and that, there's a good chance you're not, 
And that's a lot of times when injuries happen. But so in all those days you feel bad, earn your way up, maybe warm up a little longer, see how things feel. Don't just go in and go all out. I mean, because you're just like like you guys just said, you're throwing kind of gasoline on that burnout fire. But yeah, it's hard to find kind of that 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 space between. Um, you know, knowing your limitations, as Dirty Harry Callahan would say from the yeah. movies, you know, a man's got to know his limitations. But, you know, at the same time, you don't want to use that as, as kind of a, you know, a invisible brick wall that prevents you from, you know, crashing through it at some point. Yeah. So it's that thing where the barbarians once, uh, David and Peter Paul once were talking about how they, they don't know how to, you know, they, they never look at a weight or see something and say, I can't do that. They always say, well, you know, I'm not doing that today, but I will do that you know, and that kind of attitude. And so I think it's important, yes, to know your limitations, of course, but not let them kind of, you know, prevent you from crashing through it when the time comes. Because, you know, as I've said many times in articles, I believe that, you know, 99% of the time that people are, you know, a, a very kind of well-versed, you know, advanced trainer, he, he's probably not actually visibly improving himself most of the time, you know, and then he'll have that spurt where, you know, it's like, one or two percent of the training sessions will actually kind of, you know, leapfrog him forward. Um, so you always have to kind of know where you are, but not let them get in the way. I mean, you say when you walk up to the bar, um, Phil, you're saying about things like, you know, if, if you're thinking I'm never going to get this, you know, you have to really be mature enough to understand, you know, where is that voice originating from? Is that originating yeah. from some, some place of, you know, um, again, you're kind of taking the whole limitation thing too far and you're allowing yourself to be psyched out yeah. from fear or like you say past failures or whatever or if you genuinely know because of injury or overtraining or, or just that you're, you're kind of you know stretching yourself past where you are at that moment I mean and that's a really hard thing to learn I think that's probably exactly. amongst the most you know um, difficult things for a lifter to kind of master is that kind of being able to read himself to that kind of, you know, that kind of detail where you, no, you know. No, and again, I think that comes in time like we were talking about. And yeah, you know, I can't use that with, a lot of times I have clients that'll, like I have somebody that can deadlift 300 pounds and they don't know it. But I mean, you can just tell, but you'll have 95 pounds on the bar and they're like, wow, that was heavy. And then right, you just right. throw 135 on, they, they still say, wow, that's heavy. You put 185 on, wow, that was heavy. 225 on they still right. say it's heavy, you know, but they're a hundred and some pounds past where the first heavy was. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I think it comes in time. And, I mean, yeah, of course, it's, it's something that I've learned in time and uh, everybody does. That's, that's the hard line you got to cross because you need to know, well, I mean, don't be a freaking sissy. And you got to go in some days and when you're feeling like crap, get the damn job done and see what you can do. And you have to push your limits, but you need to be smart about it. And I don't know, it's kind of, like you were just talking about, you know, the more mature lifters or aged lifters, we're talking, you know, gym years, is, uh, you know, yeah, most of our sessions aren't groundbreaking. We're going in there and we're punching a freaking clock, punching a clock, punching a clock. And then, you know, 20 sessions build up and we've created a stimulus for ad- adaptation. Whereas a beginning lifter, you bring them in the gym for 45 minutes and one time, and you've created a stimulus for that adaptation. Right, you know, It right. doesn't take much for them to get that stimulus, and it also doesn't take them long to recover. Whereas it might take me or you three months to stack workouts on top of each other to create a stimulus to actually get better. 
Yeah, 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 exactly. That's that's definitely what I was talking about for sure. It is a good topic, and you know what? I I think it boils down to the idea that over time you learn the difference between fear and laziness keeping you away from a lift or out of the gym versus really listening to your body, like what Phil said early on, which was, you know, my hunger's down, my sleep is wrecked. I mean, he's being more objective with that. You know what I mean? So even experienced guys know that, you know, there's this internal debate, no matter how many gym years you've got, there is some level of internal debate about, do I get aggressive today, you know, to hell with it, versus no, no, something deep down in my nervous system is saying, walk away, you know, and it's, it's never real easy. But listen, uh, I want to at least get to the topic today a little bit and talk about this because I know, Rob, you have some great stories. And Phil, you and I have never talked about this, but you might too. Um, Can you play that – just play the topic music for us? In a, in a future episode, I do hope we get Jeff McCarroll on, on the call because he is the most connected sports supplement industry insider I think I've ever met. From marketing to um, you know product development to advertising and distribution channels, all that kind of stuff. And I really want him to sort of educate listeners on you know what it takes to take a supplement from concept all the way to market. Because I think readers would be really surprised at how arbitrary some of these steps are. I don't think it's done to the same sort of strict standards that you see with a lot of products and, and services out there. But I want to start with a question, and this is for – again, I want to hear what Phil has to say too. I know some of Rob's stories, but I think they're, they're good. The topic, uh, if just to quote it, would be behind the scenes in the sports supplement industry. And what I want you guys to start with, if we can, is name one good thing and one bad thing about the sports supplement industry. Who wants to go first? A good thing and a bad thing. Uh, A good thing. um, I I think that because of maybe the lax um, regulations that, that maybe do exist as it is right now, allow people, you know, some of these people and companies to maybe um, you know, bring to market things that are, you know, maybe wouldn't be um, if if they had been more kind of closely observed by, you know, certain factions of the government. And so, you know, like like some things about, you know, protein supplements and these types of things that I think, I think just kind of the freedom that a lot of these companies have maybe is a good thing. Um, but interestingly enough, on the flip side, the bad thing would be pretty much the exact same thing, which would be, again, just a flagrant abuse of a lot of these companies, uh, certainly as towards kind of like their their uh, the integrity of how the company was began and how, how the the products were kind of like formulated and and uh, certainly the claims that are made on a lot of this crap that that certainly has no probably efficacy whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I gotta agree. I mean, the first one, if I had to pick one thing, I'd say it's just the the freedom of the market. You know, now compared to 15 years ago, 10 years ago even, now there are there is the ability for all these startups to start, and the availability of the of the raw materials and this and that. So we're able to get 
I mean, look at the price of creatine compared to what it was 10, 15 years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so the prices are down. You know, there's a there's a larger market. Sure, the demand's there, but now there's just more more fish selling the, you know, more people casting out bait to all the fish, which which has brought the, the prices down. I guess, um, I don't know, if I got to pick a bad thing aside from the one Rob just said, it'd be uh, a lot of the marketing campaigns and the abuse of, uh, scientific you know, Phil, you, you've almost said what I was thinking along – I was jotting some stuff down earlier, and I think on the pro side, you mentioned a lot of small startup companies. I was thinking more along the lines of products, but we have a lot more options, not just more options, but affordable options. Like you said, creatine doesn't cost 80 bucks a kilo anymore. You know, and stuff like that. I mean, like back in the early 90s when we were doing research with it in the lab and stuff. So I think there's affordable options, and that does have something to do with the freedom. Or we have stuff for convenience, like certain protein bars that actually aren't bogus anymore, you know, or shakes or things like that that actually taste good. And this stuff just – or lactose-free stuff. I mean, God, even in the early 90s, you couldn't find nearly the variety of this stuff. And even if you could, it was pricey. So I think – you know, along the same lines with the more startup companies and the more, uh, you know, well, just companies out there, you have more products, more options. Uh, I think on the con side, again, God, you're right, Phil, science. I mean, the one thing people should be using as evidence, which is, you know, science. And I don't mean one little poster done by some inside guy at that company and presented at some meeting under the radar. I mean, sort of a consensus in the literature, like creatine monohydrate, you know, probably 350, 400 studies, maybe more now, 75% of them suggesting that it does in fact work for repeat explosive performance. That's a consensus in the literature. Scientific evidence is how you base this stuff, not the opinion of a guru uh, and that kind of stuff. And what makes me sad is the big negative here is that you don't really need solid consensus. You don't need solid science for a product to sell. You know, Things will sell because marketers connect uh, wild claims with an emotional trigger because they want you to buy based on emotion, and that's probably true with almost any kind of industry. I mean, you think about like cigarette commercials. You see people playing volleyball and jet skiing. I mean, what the hell does that have to do with cigarettes? You know, so <laughs> so unrelated visuals and all this kind Even, of just on the science end is uh, how bad they twist good studies. You know, studies that aren't even relevant. If it has the name of the product they're using, they will find something in there and pick out the smallest little positive that even in a study that actually was negative on the thing, and the people never read the frickin' studies. You know, they'll yeah. find that a mouse, you gave 10 grams of this to a mouse, and he ended up getting huge, but he died. They just skipped the he died thing, and the hugeness was a big tumor. <laughs> <laughs> They show that he gained 200% body mass. Of what? Yeah. You, you know what? Uh, along that same line, they'll selectively cite certain studies. You know, like, like we, could, we could come up with dozens of studies that creatine doesn't work, but we'd be selectively citing to make a false point. You know, and it's the same thing that they do sort of in reverse is they purposely will cite the one study that found something intriguing and sort of conveniently ignore the dozens or even hundreds of studies suggesting no effect. 
So selective citation or like you said, picking one fact out. I think when people listen to the evening news and they say, you know, a new study proves, well, first of all, research doesn't prove anything. Second of all, don't just be spoon fed the results of a study. Ask about the methods in who in old women with osteoporosis, you know, in kidney patients or in young lifting men. You know, something like that. These are different populations. Or what kind of equipment they use to measure it. Or, you know, there's so many things you need to ask about the methods. So, it, I don't know. It makes me – it just makes me sort of bummed that that's a negative in, in the industry is that the science isn't really – proper science isn't really needed to excite consumers to buy, you know, a product. And something will sell for a year or two no matter how bogus, you know, or stretched the science is – before people sort of clue in, you know. Uh, what I wanted to do uh, is I know, Rob, you've got a story. I wanted to just kind of share some stories from behind the scenes because Rob and I have consulted for some dietary supplement companies before. And, Phil, anything you can think of too. But, Rob, I was thinking you might share the story about the sort of the dubious before and after pictures uh, from a, a huge well-known company. How much I want to venture towards? Yeah. Um, well, you don't have to name names, you know. But you know, it, when I used to be an editor at Muscle Maga, at the time, the early mid '90s, the big supplement company that was being tagged as having you know the, all the answers for growth and size and strength. Um, you know, the, the the initial before and after shots were done before there was any product in a bottle at all. Um, and it was just basically the owner, the first shots were the, was the owner of the company, um, with cotton in his mouth. And he was actually a guy that was always pretty much in good condition who purposefully got out of condition for the before shot. Um, so much so that we'd go to Wendy's, you know, several times every week so he could load up and, you know, put on that extra 20 or 30 pounds of fat, stop training, um, then the day of the shoot, stick out his gut, you know, have a spray bottle so he kind of looked, you know, slimy and greasy and sweaty and uh, cotton in his cheeks and look as sad as possible um, and then just go back to what he was doing before he got fat. So let me just summarize that. The pictures were taken in reverse. Absolutely. Wow. The person, well, the person. So now, I mean, have you guys watched the Bigger, Stronger, Faster movie? Yes. Yeah, more so now. You got the digital stuff going on. So I mean, they'll shoot before and afters within an hour. Yeah, it's good. And you know what? I always find right. funny people. They'll hold up a newspaper with a date on it in the before and after shots. Like that means anything. I I, I still don't understand that. Right? I mean, I could hold up a newspaper from 1980 and then 1982. You know what I mean? It, it's if it's already come to pass, holding up a, a newspaper or something with the date on it is an absurd notion. It doesn't prove anything that somebody really went through an eight-week program or a 20-week program or something. So right. I, people just don't think about that stuff, I guess. Yeah, and then, of course, the after shot where he you know, appeared all tan and smiling and good shape and de defined and happy, like he's getting laid. I mean, that shot was, of course, him just going back to what he normally did anyway, which is you know, doing cardio, eating well, doing weight training, you know, right. mild anabolics and so forth. It's just, you know, and, and the thing that pisses me off is that these guys get rich 
on the backs of essentially kids yeah. that don't yep. know enough to see through the horse shit, you know, and they There's spend all the hard-earned money, like you say, on, you know, 80, 90, 100 bucks a week, whatever the hell it is, you know, and these little tubs of shit that are supposed to do all these wonderful things, you know, in the ads, it's, you know, the, the ads always feature the prof- professional bodybuilders and so forth, you know, like showing, you know, Jay Cutler or somebody, you know, like out of shape or whatever, you know, and I only had 12 weeks to go to the Olympia and I reclaim my, my crown with, with, with blah, blah, blah. And it's, has nothing to do with that. I mean, these guys don't even use this shit. You know, if they, if they get probably stuff mailed to them every, every month, they probably have a whole garage full of crap. And the only thing they might use is maybe one of the protein powders or something. And it's like, certainly that's never going to give you drug like effects to any degree at all. So it's just, it's just misleading to the public, and again, I, it really bums me out that these guys are living in mansions, again, on the backs of kids that don't know any better. Because, you know, we were kids, too. You know, I, I, I'm sure each of us could, you know, tell the stories about when we were young teenagers and so forth and getting so excited to take our, you know, 40, 50 bucks and going buying all this stuff that was supposed to be, you know, rocket fuel. And, I mean, you're just it's just it's just pissing your money away, really. You know, and it's just... Yeah. It's, it's just, it's just I, rem- I, I remember in the was it the really late 80s, I, I was excited. I went out and bought those Weeder anabolic mega packs, which were just little, you know, cellophane packets of amino acids, basically. And they were being sold as a steroid replacement and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, that's a lot of lawns to mow. You know what I mean? To come up to scrounge up the 40 or 50 bucks or whatever for a box of this stuff. And ultimately, uh, that led to a federal suit against the Weeder company and they actually had to turn around and and fund certain labs luckily one of them was the Kent State lab that wasn't far from me uh, as a kid and actually got some equipment towards some legitimate research and all that kind of stuff but yeah there's always a fresh batch of 16 year olds who are super pumped up and they want to believe right it, it's not hard to market to a group who wants to believe the claims it's preaching to the choir you know they want to believe that there's something to make them huge and that, you know, there's a way they can look like the guys in the magazines without the gas. And, you know, as a physiologist, I, you know, this is a, a this is grim business, but I'm telling you, any young guys listening, you cannot weigh 250 pounds ripped it, 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 without those kinds of bodybuilding drugs. It's it's, um, you know, don't we were talking earlier about know your limitations. Well, you know, that's not a natural state of being. So. Yeah, I mean, in this day and age, I mean, it's been it's been put forth so often that so many young guys now just take it for granted. You know, that if, well, if I go and I train hard and I do this and that and everything, I can at least get somewhat approximate what these guys in these ads look like. And you know, it's it's just so much fraudulent uh, marketing. And what a lot of these people don't, young kids don't realize is that a lot of what are the bigger companies now, and I'm you know I'm not pointing out every one of them, but were started by people who had no interest whatsoever in, in serving the public because of a passion for trying to advance any science and sports nutrition. They simply just wanted to be millionaires, you know, and they were using templates of people before them to, you know, find a company and, and, and do that. And again, they were just bleeding money out of, out of a populace that didn't have any idea what they, you know, what was going on. And again, it, it's very easy to be legitimate when you have lots of money. It's very difficult to be legitimate when you have no money. And like, for instance, this company that I was referring to before, I mean, you know, they might be in the, in the, in the broader sense legitimate now, but I mean, you know, they're a two, $300 million company. You know, I, I can guarantee you when that company started, 
It was anything le- le- but legitimate. There was no doctors. There was no science. There were no labs. There were no. There was no one with any credential. Um, there was one guy. And one guy you know what? And every ad had some guy in a lab coat with a clipboard. Remember, we used to laugh about the clipboards. There was no lab. You know, what's the clipboard for? I don't know. It's just kind of funny. Everybody's in lab coats these days. It's freaking hilarious. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I'm not a scientist, but, you know, it's just funny as hell. that You know, they're standing there holding up a, a beaker or something, and, you know, or they're always, you know, staring very intensely at, at the, the, pro- the product, uh, you know, uh, label on the can. It's like, I don't know, but as far as I'm concerned, Lonnie, I've never seen you in a lab holding up a can of a protein powder, you know, studying the ingredients. I don't know. Clearly, I've wasted 16 years of higher education because I didn't need the doctorate or the license to practice or any of that. I could have just went straight for the lab coat. You know? Oh, you could have. I mean, to put it this way, I mean, I got, I got an FDA license for a supplement company and went through the licensure through the government and the state to start up my own, you know, center that I can create supplements in. It took me all of, like, four hours. Wow. To be, I am, I was FDA, through the FDA, a, a supplement distributor and whatever the heck you call it, producer. And they said, well, all, the only thing they have is they just have the right to stop by any time and check you out, but it doesn't mean they're going to, and they never did. Yeah. Now, I, I do want I do want listeners to know. I mean, there are uh, increasing FDA guidelines for you know the evidence backing certain claims. There are processes over the past few years that are slowly starting to be put in place. But don't think that there's some state uh, or local or you know federal agency that's going to screen ads before they're printed or anything like that because there's not. And Rob had a good point. Small companies can be very dramatic. They'll abuse percentages, you know, 2,100% better than creatine. Well, maybe you gained 2,100 grams instead of one gram, you know, a body weight, you know, or something absurd. So they abuse percentages. They abuse just outright, well, basically lies uh, oftentimes. And not all, but, you know, many. And, uh, you know, they're, the products are, are formulated in a sort of a wacky, random way. I've talked to people at some very big companies. Um, Christ, I wish I could name some of them right now. They're right on the tip of my tongue, but I'm going to bite it right now. But big companies that very arbitrarily f- formulate their sub- supplements. You know, they don't use physiologists and physicians, and they they don't you know start with animal studies and do everything according to some FDA drug like procedure, you know, which is five years and umpteen million dollars. Um, but they just kind of run with it. They have to exaggerate. Once they're big, they have more to lose. So then they back off on some of the wild claims a little. But I wanted to share one story uh, that Rob just kind of stimulated this for me was when he said they're just about money. Rob, you know how we used to sit across the table from some guys at New York and at a big supplement manufacturer. And it was basically, we, we would give our opinions and then the marketers were sort of on the other side. You had these little flaky guys on the other side of the table. And as long as it generated money and profit, they absolutely found no problem with that at all. I mean, ethics, what's that? You know, the only ethics was the bottom line. And they didn't even, I don't even think they felt dirty about it. They just didn't get it. Like, and here's an example. I remember the big boss man, because that's why these supplement companies tend to work, right? They're sort of a sugar daddy, and he's being orbited by umpteen yes men. 
several marketers, maybe, maybe a couple of scientists. And I remember the big boss man formulated this product. And I, 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 I'm looking at the ingredients. I said, you know, you have a stimulant and a sedative herb in this product, right? Do you know that? I mean, and he said, oh, Lonnie, Lonnie, you worry too much. He said, the stimulant jacks you up and the sedative smooths it out. And I thought, oh, my God. Or, <laughs> or you're doing something dangerous and contradictory by giving someone a stimulant and a sedative at the same flipping time. Again, these are huge companies that randomly, you know, have these best case scenario. Everything's synergistic. You know, everything's one plus one equals five kind of blend in their little witch's brews. And these are companies that are all over the pages of fitness magazines, too. I almost said muscle magazines, but I don't want to just say muscle magazines because, you know, bodybuilding and, and muscle magazines, they get so much heat when the truth is there's lots of other sports you know, that are abusive to these kinds of things. And even books, diet books, and, you know, books are the new supplement market. If you want to blame the supplement market for being hokey, look at the reader hooks in a lot of these, you know, uh, books that hit the market. Everything's a new revolution. Everything's the new rules and the new this and the new that, as if all those years of science and, you know, incremental progress doesn't count. And now Johnny Guru has the ultimate, you know, secret for us. So books yeah, the other... are also an issue. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just saying the other thing is a lot of these companies, and we're talking again major companies. These formulations these have, I mean, they're getting the basic raw ingredients from the same place that you know ninety ninety eight percent of the other supplement companies are getting for. Right? They're just placing orders for what they want. They put a different different label. I mean, they're spending most of their money just on the label, you know, for the graphic design of the label and so forth. And then they just call the company, put their order in, and get what they want, you know, in the in the bucket. And the thing is. Um, I don't know what the thing is. What was I going to say? Just, just, just the fact that these these companies are, yeah, the, the claims are ridiculous. And when they start venturing much past just the basics of creatine, protein, and carbs, and that type of thing, it's usually more often than not just just completely hokey. You know. Yeah, it, it, I I still you know what I remember, Rob. I don't know if you were at that meeting, but I remember there was all these yes men's around. Yes, men uh, sucking up to the sugar daddy, like uh, owner of the company, saying this is the next thing, best thing since creatine. This is the next creatine, and I'm thinking creatine was a one in a million shot. I mean, supplement companies have already sold pretty much every metabolite in a cell, you know, from citrate to creatine to I mean, pick something, you know, the amino acids, the the different parts of the Krebs cycle. I mean, and they hit the mark with this one. Actually, creatine started in a, in a little bit more of a legitimate way from some British labs and. Of course, you know, even Anthony Almada and Muscle Media 2000 really popularizing it and things like that. It had a little bit more of a legitimate start than some of these. But it's amazing to hear these yes men. Everything's the next creatine. No, there's not going to be a next creatine in all likelihood. I mean, at some point, maybe, maybe. But I want to I ask both of you guys one last thing before we wrap up is, Rob, you just kind of alluded to it, is what's something that's really bogus because – in my opinion, and again, I've researched dietary supplements for about 15 years. I'd say 80, even 90% of them bogus. I mean, at least compared to the dramatic claims that are made. Um, what's good? What should be in a, you know, a, a, a guy's supplement cabinet versus what's just really bogus and sort of offended you? Well, you know what? To me, honestly, and anything, again, that kind of goes, ventures much past 
basic macronutrients or creatine or a vitamin or something like that to me is crap. I mean, you know, when they're starting to make points about, you know, this is cryogenically this and you can taste and you can feel the cold when it's nothing more than just some sort of menthol additive or something. Uh, <laughs> and it shows yeah. some guy in an ad, you know, it shows some 280-pound professional bodybuilder in an ad like he's some sort of like, you know, frozen coming out of some sort of like big massive cryo chamber. Uh, it's just, and this is one of the biggest companies, out, you know, supplement companies out there. I mean, it's, I don't know. It, it just it just offends me to a degree that I can't even begin. I mean, if there's any way I could bring this, these kind of companies down, I would. Um, you, you know what offends me, and I think both you guys will agree with this, is they're not as prevalent anymore, but about 10 years ago, there was this big stretch of low-calorie weight gainers. I mean, What? You know, as if you could bend the laws of physics, right? When it takes 2,800 or 3,000 surplus calories to build a pound of muscle, you know, along with the extra protein that's necessary and things like that. I don't care what herb or what weird little metabolite you stuff in there. Nobody's getting big on a low-calorie weight gainer. I mean, that's just so contradictory. I always thought that was really offensive. But anyway, Phil, what sucks? What sucks out there? <laughs> oh, geez, um, I, I agree on that one. Just the whole fallacy that that uh, it's not so prevalent anymore, but it still is with some people that you know a protein powder is going to put fifty pounds on you or something, and it's just just not going to do it. Um, those those all the nitric oxide boosters, just I I don't know they I don't get them. Yeah, I'm not real excited by that either. I haven't seen anything that actually <laughs> works. You know, it's never been anything. When you consider the money that you have to spend to actually acquire these things and then the relative benefit, if any, and that's a big stretch, that you're going to get from them, I mean, the cost to effectiveness ratio is just just not even (laughs) worth talking about, you know? I mean, I suppose if you got a bottle of this stuff for free, you could give it a whirl. I remember you and I, Lonnie, used to get all sorts of free stuff and samples, and you would say to me, the only, you know... If it's free, you might as well just take it maybe just because of the protein content. But as far as everything else is concerned, you know, it's, it's a joke. So, yeah. You know, like the only thing that- like food-based stuff. Anything that's based in real food is, is a great supplement, I think. But, yeah, you know, I, the oils and proteins, yeah. uh, you know. It's the herbal salary that's it's- good. You know, it's. I think it's the herbal stuff and some of the metabolites and stuff. And I think the only reason that you don't see people actually getting side effects or getting ill from some of the stuff is because the supplement companies underdose it, and they're not underdosing things out of public safety interest. They're underdosing for price point. You know, the amount that goes into a pill or into a dose is generally. Uh, where we can set the price point of the bottle, right? So we're going to put as much of each of these wholesale ingredients. Rob, you were referring to wholesale versus retail earlier. Which one of these wholesale ingredients are we going to get from the wholesale companies and put in here? How much just based on what a $40 bottle is? Because you know they might the sugar daddy might say, well, we don't want to charge $70 for the bottle. So you know they they dose it accordingly and i think one example of that for years was pyruvate which was sold as everything from sort of a muscle acidity buffer to a fat loss agent and other things and the dose that you saw in the literature just did not match the quote unquote anecdotal suggestions you know uh, and when and nobody was really told that based on a lot of the the animal work 
you know, they'd have to go through a bottle in like three days of that stuff, you know, to try to generate effects. Oh, and, and even you know, worse, that, you know, and they only put in a fraction of the dose, and the study they're citing was actually they were taking it IV, not orally. There's a big difference. Yeah. Sometimes the lab owns the... <laughs> Sometimes they'll own the patent for it, you know. Um, There are certain uh, things – pyruvate's one example, and again, I'm not saying there was necessarily false conduct going on, but uh, HMB, that metabolite of leucine, another one where you get very mixed results, and and the lab – you know, one lab that gets lots of positive results on that owns the patent. Now, again, maybe they were so excited at the results that they had to patent it, you know. but when you see other labs not confirming it unanimously or at least in a you know, major consensus, that can be a concern. So, I think, I think one thing worth mentioning, which I'm sure you guys have heard lots of stories about, and I won't mention any names or any companies or who I heard it from or anything. It's the whole, you know, it's happened several times to my knowledge. From it's, you know, a company comes out with a new supplement and, you know, these industry is largely unregulated, and so they actually, with that first batch, um, lace it with anabolics. And yeah. then yep. it goes out there, and people are like, damn, dude, I gained 20 pounds off one bottle of this stuff. <laughs> and that message has spread. That product now has a kick-ass reputation. And then from that point on, they just take it out. And, you know, right. they've got a placebo effect going on, this and that, because that first initial small batch, that the only got to do is cross their fingers. It's got just as long as nobody tests this first batch, we're okay. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that a couple times, different products, yeah. you got to love the whole test batch thing, right? Well, you know, there's some new supplement company here, and it's, you know, they, I mean, this company is dedicated to this. It had nothing to do with bodybuilding, but they stumbled upon this thing, and, you know, only a few chosen lucky you know professional bodybuilders have had you know got sample packs and they'll have a picture of some you know sandwich bag with a with a little tag on it and some powder sitting in it and you know <laughs> and, you know it's not available to the public yet but you know oh, then, yeah, yeah. then amazingly yeah. you know six months later the company has decided that this is too good to be true to keep away from exactly. all the you know, so now oh, we, we're actually yeah. going to make it available to the public, and it's like, give me a freaking break. We're going to make it available to the public, and, and we're losing money selling this. We're doing a favor to you. <laughs> we're we're going to let you guys have this. for. We're losing a dollar on every sale. You know? Yeah, but we're so dedicated to the advancement of human performance that we're going to we're yeah. gonna get, let this stuff out. <laughs> sure you are. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, that's a good one. The, the reluctant physician who's having his arm twisted by the magazine editor, you know, to, to, to supply this research batch. Absolutely. And then you have five-page special ad reports, again, with plenty of clipboards and lab coats, you know. And like you said, Rob, you've been inside real university labs that look at this stuff. You don't see any of that crap going on. And hopefully, hopefully the companies once they get big, they do start to feel a sense of guilt or responsibility that they're going to be completely liable for fraud unless they actually fund a little bit of research, you know. But, yeah, that's, uh, you know, one in a hundred companies or less ever get to the point that they can actually have an R&D arm. The biggest food supplement company here in Canada for, like, bodybuilding and so forth, and, again, everybody knows who the hell I'm talking about. they got teams of lawyers that are, you know, fielding lawsuits 365 days a year. 
You know, and they oh. even they even come up with subsidiary companies simply because you know from legal means they can kind of you know separate one lawsuit from the other and try and hopefully you know save save this branch of the company because it's you know it's it's under a different file name or whatever. I don't know. It's just it's just all such crap and corruption. Now, again, I, I don't want to make this entirely negative. Some good things have come out of it. Rob, you mentioned creatine. Creatine is, is so important, not just to muscle function, but now it's being used because it, it provides energy to human brain tissue. It can help with dementia and things like that, maybe you know, muscle-wasting diseases. I mean, um, the kinds of proteins that we have now are extremely high biological value proteins, or they have a high what's called a PDCAAS. It's just real high-quality stuff way fractions and and you know that kind of stuff as you know, as opposed to some of the nasty you know sawdust things that they used to sell in the past that also had lactose and other stuff in it i mean there are there are advances but to me it, it the the shift toward herbal hormonal stuff is where i started to get more and more antsy as a researcher cuz i'm like listen a metabolite like creatine fine or like you said, Rob, macronutrients, actual nutrients, great. I'll, I'll test them. But I'm not a toxicologist. I'm not an herbologist. And, th and that's kind of the direction the industry is really going. And like I said, I think the main reason you don't see people getting hurt more often than they do is because for price point reasons, really for greed reasons, not for ethical reasons, a lot of the, the pills are underdosed. So, yeah. you know, so anyway, pros and cons there, I guess. I, mean, I don't know. I got kind of a... I think one thing that you could look at, I, there are reputable companies out there, and I mean, I know reputable pe people selling great products. Um, one thing to look for is if a company's pushing out a new product every every month or every two months, it, it's usually not a good thing. <laughs> you know, they push something out just long enough for it to sell, and then it loses its luster, and they push something else out, and then it loses it, and then they push something else out, and... You know, generally the people I know that have good products out, they have one or two or three or four things, and they're there for a long time. Yeah. Because the product continues to sell, right? I mean, if you get something that only sells for a year, you've got to come out with a new product because the first one lost its, its you know, target yeah. base, so to speak. And exactly. But stuff like creatine or whey protein or fish oils, that stuff's not going away. So here's a consumer tip to everybody. If you're if you want to sit on the fence for a while, do it. You know, wait for about a year to see if the popularity is waning. After a year and a half, I'd say by two years, if people are still going on about it, um, you know, in a positive way, it's probably a fairly safe bet. Yeah, yeah. If it's an actual real product and it works great, it's, it's going to do nothing but get more word of mouth. <laughs> you know, it's not going to die. Yep. If I found something awesome. I'm not going to take it for a month and then, uh, well, I, I had fun. I'm not doing back to that anymore. You know, I'm going to tell everybody I'm going to keep using it forever. <laughs> right. And, and again, Rob, you, you pointed out about ratios and, and stuff. Uh, the percentage gain that you get from most supplements is going to be somewhere. And again, this is after 15 years of experience in the lab. The stuff that works, 5 to 15% improvements in whatever variable we're measuring uh, now compare that with getting enough calories and protein and you know the right kinds of fats and everything where you can see dozens of percent increases very easily, 50% uh, more. I mean think about how much protein synthesis, for example, might go up when you get some, you know, some protein in you after a lift. That dwarfs the effect that you're going to get out of some little herb or something like that. So you know, 
keep it just keep in mind, you know, with all the drama that you see in the advertisements about how freaking awesome, because that's what marketers do. They write, they link emotion to a product instead of, you know, something more boring like empirical evidence. Um, that's what they do. But always keep in mind, this is only going to be probably between like a five and 15 percent gain on, you know, when you analyze it properly versus much bigger differences with uh, getting enough food and having some kind of a decent, clean meal plan. All right, guys. Okay. We're definitely out of time, but uh, thanks, man. Good, good discussion. Yeah, it was. I hope we can get Jeff on anyway. So if we can, great, because I know he's got some great stories, for everything from, you know, uh, and again, not necessarily bad things, Metrex, Biotest, um, Nutrex, of which he was a founder, uh, Pinnacle. There was a whole bunch of companies the guys worked for. So hopefully we can get him on and get some stories out of him. But until then, um, I guess thanks for listening. That'll work. Thanks a lot, guys. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like Iron Radio, if you like what we do, uh, the education, interviewing uh, industry personalities or many of the pro bodybuilders or coaches that we've had in the past, uh, please just click on the donate button at www.ironradio.org and make a donation. We've had some great donations from people that have kept us going. Thank you so much. Uh, so please visit uh, the website, click on the donation button, or if you like, uh, and it's a similar situation, buy some Iron Radio cool stuff. We've got t-shirts and mugs and things like that, and those things help support the site and keep us on there. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.